The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Boom. Major messages from the minor prophets. They're called minor prophets not because they're unimportant. They're called minor prophets because they're short. Uh, it probably works better for the culture of the day and age we live in where everything, what, 60 characters or less or whatever it is. Shorter is easy, you know, two or three chapters easier than 47, which are the major prophets. They're all great stuff. They have kind of an edge to them sometimes. Uh, we're going to look at the book of Joel today, this little letter. We don't know much about Joel other than he was the son of Pethuel. That's all we know about him. We don't know when he wrote. We don't know what king was king, what governor was governor. We know nothing about what's going on other than what we're going to find out here, that there was some kind of pandemic of locusts that had come through. Take a look here at the beginning of Joel. Joel chapter 1, verse 2. says, Hear this, you leaders of the people. Listen, all who live in land. In all your history, has anything happened like this before? Tell your children about it in years to come. Just like all of us will do with COVID, right? We're going to all be saying, well, we were there. Remember what happened with the shutdown and then the election and then the mask and vax and gathering and all that kind of stuff. It says... Pass the story down from generation to generation. Verse 4. After the cutting locusts finished eating the crops, the swarming locusts took what was left. And then came the hopping locusts, and then the stripping locusts too. Uh, Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, it says, all of you. The grapes are ruined. Your sweet wine is gone. A vast army of locusts has invaded my land, a terrible army, too numerous to count. Its teeth are like lion's teeth, its fangs like those of a lioness. It has ruined, it has destroyed my grapevines and ruined my fig trees, stripping their bark and destroying it, leaving the branches white and bare. They didn't just come and get the green stuff off the top, and they didn't come and get the leaves and the fruit. They got down to just the stalk, and they even took the bark off of the trees and off of the vegetation. Weep like a bride dressed in black, mourning the death of her husband. There's no grain or wine to offer at the temple of the Lord. The priests are in mourning. The ministers of the Lord are weeping. The fields are ruined. The land is stripped bare. The grain is destroyed. The 401k has dried up and vanished. Cryptocurrency is gone. It's gone. See where you're going. That's no, it's the grapes are shriveled, the oil, olive oil is gone. Despair all you farmers. Wail, all you vine growers, wheat because the wheat, barley, uh, because the crops have filled with ruin, the grapevines have dried up, and the fig trees have withered, the pomegranate trees, palm trees, and apple trees, all the fruit trees have dried up, and all the people's joy has dried up with them. This is a pandemic, and it's awful, and it's terrible. It's going to tell us in verse 20, not only was there a pandemic of locusts and a plague there, it says in verse 20, even the wild animals cry out to you. Because the streams have dried up. There's a drought. It's not just everything, you just imagine, just stripped bare. All the green's gone, all the fruit's gone. And now it's not even raining to kind of replenish everything. It's awful and terrible right now. Now, we hear the idea of locusts, and we think, oh, I've seen a locust. I've seen a grasshopper. Not like this you haven't. And not like this in a city. You think there's a bunch of birds flying. There's locusts. 
Here, here's the damage they do. T- take a look at this. Here's a picture of them on a, on a stalk. They just kind of get in there and just start eating and uh, going after it. Uh, then you got some before and after pictures here. That's before. That's after. It's kind of pixelated. It's the best one I could find. Go find. Let's look at the next one. What's happened here, it's economic catastrophe has happened here. It's not just that all the fruit's gone and it's not pretty and green anymore. It's a mess. And what's happening here, this is different than, than the times when, when some of the prophets will come along or a pastor or a priest will say, hey, get your act together or else the locusts are coming. That's not what happens here. The locusts have already come. We don't know why they're there. We don't know if it's because of God's judgment or just it's a plague or whatever. But it's bad in that part of the world. And it really, really hurts. I did some, a little bit of work this week because locusts. I've, you know, I've seen grasshoppers and locusts in my yard here and there. But never have lived in a place like this. And they give different names of these different kind of locusts. And they're not quite sure what these names all mean. But they talked about the idea. Look at verse it says the, after the, them came the hopping locusts and the stripping locusts. They've discovered that hopping locusts don't fly through the air. You know what they do? They, there we go. See, you're awake. Thank you. They hop. And at first you see just a few of them go, oh, it's just a few little locusts. Just, oh, it's no big deal. Whatever. These hopping locusts, they've discovered this. People that study bugs and etymology, all that kind of stuff will come in and lay, each one of these will lay thousands of eggs and then thousands more little stripping locusts who just, they don't fly around, they just get everywhere. And it struck me this week, this is not Joel's main point here, but it occurred to me this week that what's happening here, what happens sometimes in our life, is we have, oh, come on, Steve, it's just a little bit of locusts here. It's just a couple little grasshoppers. Just, I know it's me and whatever, it's a little bit of sin and stupidity. Not a lot. A little bit of sin and stupidity. And you let those suckers lay eggs. And you turn around and you go, man, everything just, there's, there's millions of them now. How did it get like this? You know why? Because we put up with a couple little, small little hopping ones. They just go, oh, look, they're hopping and they're cute. Let's name them. Make them our pets. In chapter 2, it tells us, another description of, the lo- of these locusts, and they're, they're described like they're an army. It, and some people think, I did, read different commentaries on this, some people think, no, what he's talking about here is the locusts came, and then the drought, and then an army came. I don't think so. I think what he's describing here is, he describes these locusts like they're like lions. Like they're, they're that, dis- you think, it's a bug. What could, what could a bug do? No, they're as bad as like a lion is. These locusts are as bad as an invading army in the destruction and the havoc and the chaos they have created. I wonder today, a question for you to consider and me to consider is, hmm, what have the locusts eaten in my life? Maybe write that one down there. What have the locusts eaten? Now, obviously, we don't have locusts coming, bugs come. Well, maybe some of you do. You have bugs that come in and destroy your garden, the beautiful gardens you plant, all that. That's not really our deal. Perhaps our bugs are things... The, lo- the locust done with our marriage, with our family, our finances, our health, our mental health, our anxiety, our depression. We, we saw what happened. And, and here's the crazy thing is sometimes the locusts are there. This is very important. Look right at me here for a second. Sometimes the locusts are there because we invited them in or we did things and God says, okay, here you go. 
Locusts are coming. You screwed this thing up. You're going to have to reap the consequences of that. But sometimes the locusts are not a result of what you did. The locusts are a result of what some other fool did. Some of you were abused as children. Mentally, physically, sexually, more, whatever it is. Some of you who went through a really awful thing with a marriage, with a terrible dysfunctional parent or a coach or a teacher, and it just put that in there. And it can be very easy then to go, well, look at my life. My life's just a wreck. And then what happens is bitterness sinks into our hearts. And then we use the idea of look what they did to me to excuse all kinds of bad, destructive behavior for ourselves. And we start inviting more locusts in and go, oh, well, what can I do about this? It's just I'm a victim here and I'm a bitter victim. And I'll go to Twitter and Facebook to let you know all about it. And I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm kind of kidding there, but not really. So we do here. Uh, a podcaster who I listened to, I, I've read his books. I'm not going to tell you that his name because he's foul and vile. But he had this great podcast one time. He said, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. And it's time to stop blaming what somebody else did in your life for the wreckage that's there right now. That doesn't mean there's not real stuff. I want to have the sympathy and compassion and all that. But too many of us are going, if it wasn't for them, then I wouldn't be doing all the dumb, stupid, wrong, immoral things I'm doing today. No, you don't get to do that. You don't get to do that. You have to decide for yourself. It's not my fault. But it's time for me. It's my life. I take responsibility for this. And then the verses that uh, Grant just read for us in chapter uh, 2, verse 12. If you, uh, your own Bible or one of our Bibles, uh, get a pen or pencil out. There's pens around there. I want you to mark some things up in your Bible here. Verse 12, he says, In the midst of chaos, in the midst of everything just being decimated, God says, Turn to me now while there's time. Does it feel like there's time right now in Israel? Like it's too late, right? It feels like there's no way. It's too late. God goes, it's never too late. Write this down. It's never too late to turn around. Whether the locusts are your fault or somebody else's fault, it is never too late for you to say, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to seek God in my life. And he says, come before God. It says there, uh, he says, give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in grief, but tear your hearts instead. I have that verse bolded, highlighted, underlined in my Bible. Don't tear your hearts, don't tear tear your clothing in grief, but tear your hearts instead. Those of you that grew up going to church in some of the Bibles, not even like the old, old ones, but the even the more modern-day ones that were back in the 70s and 80s, the word they use there is rend your hearts, not your garments. And I remember growing up hearing about that and go, what is this deal about tearing your clothes? What, what's that all about? Some of you ever watch WWE or WWF? You'll watch the guys that they're right when they get all <laughs> kind of a thing. It's a symbol of just about incredible, intense emotion being expressed. And back then, I got some verses there in your note sheet from Genesis and Kings of times when, when, when a king is under great distress, when an army is coming, so they went and they, they tore their clothing in grief. Jesus is on trial for his life. There's a verse there in Matthew. He's on trial for his life. Uh, maybe he's sentenced to death. And if he keeps his mouth shut, he's going to be acquitted. But the priest, the high priest, looks at him and says, I tell you, I command you to tell us, are you the Christ, the Messiah? And then he adds a thing to it, the Son of God. And Jesus doesn't just keep being quiet like he's always done. He stops there and he says, I am the title for Jehovah God. And it says when the, he did that, the priest 
tore his clothing in grief. That was the thing you did when you were upset back then. And what's happening here, what starts off for, for people at some point when they were really upset about something and ugh, they just tore their clothes in grief, has now become a little ceremonial thing you do. So, okay, my marriage, my finances, okay, let me get some, a nasty shirt on. I'm going to go and, and do the, go through the motions. And what God is saying here, when it comes to coming back to God, when it comes to how we relate to God, write this down here. A question maybe is, am I just going through the motions? Coming to church, going to small group, giving money, serving, reading my Bible, singing songs. If we're not careful, it can start to become just yada, yada, yada. And guys, the longer, see, if you're newer at this, it's all brand new. So some of this is a warning for you that are just getting started with this. And some of this is a wake-up call for us. Because we can just sit there and just go blah, 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 and just been there and done that and mindlessly sit here, mindlessly sit in front of our Bibles, even maybe conjure up a tear or two to go, see, I feel bad. We can go through the motions to get God to fix the mess. He says, break your hearts, not just, not just your garments. See, here, here's a question to ask yourself here. Is my heart broken or just my circumstances? See, in this case, he's going, look, you're going to want me to come in and do a bunch of stuff here. Is your heart broken over this or are you just upset because the grasshoppers came? And then he says, uh, some of you are about to be offended here, so just put on your boots here for a second here. I'm about to offend conservatives and liberals alike here, so wherever you find yourself on the spectrum, just welcome to Crosspoint. Uh, we're a fully offending church. Um, he says, rend. There's, there's a thing in English classes called, those of you the English people, possessive pronouns. Yeah, uh, I didn't pay attention. Yeah, <laughs> 1.7, I get it. Um, he says, rend your, he says, rend, not rend their hearts. Whose hearts? Your heart. That's called a possessive pronoun. Rend your heart, not your garments. And here's what happens, too. When life and chaos and terrible things happen, whether it's your children, an ex, a boss, a coach, a pastor, a teacher, whatever, somebody who came in and went with locusts into your life, it's very easy to go, if it wasn't for them, my life would be okay. He says, hey, take care of yourself. And it's, guys, I've done this now for 30-plus years now, working with people and I've seen this happen over and over again. Let me just talk to those of you in marriages. It's very easy to say if it wasn't for, we would be okay here. If she would quit spending like that, if he would quit being a televisionaholic like that, it's easy to look at the other person. Like if they would just change, then all this would be okay. We can look at our kids. and they get, they, we can look at, You can look at a church. Those of you that are newer here are going to love us for about the first three weeks. And then you're going to get to know some people. You're going to get to know me and go, man, mm. I'm just telling you right now, the church is full of messed up people. And it's very, very easy to go, if it wasn't for them, or he hurt my feelings, or he made me mad. He goes, hey, deal with your own stuff. The, the hope for your family, for your marriage, for your company, for our church, and for, here we go, the offensive part, the United States of America as a country 
if you're a conservative, it's not the liberals' fault. And if you're a liberal, it's not the conservatives' fault. You know whose fault it is? Yours. God says in the book of, of Chronicles is, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and all the pastors and leaders go, America needs to get right with God, and they yell and scream at all the people outside their church saying, they need to get right with God. And God's going, my people need to get right with me. My people need to break their hearts and rend their hearts. Not over the sin that's going out there in the world, or what's going on in your, underneath your own roof and your own private thing that nobody knows about. Is the reason these locusts are here it's not what somebody else needs to do to change. It's what you got to change. And the only hope, guys, for our country, for our church, for our communities, will be when we quit doing the whole thing. The whole, guys, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram are all about going about the problems out there. And it's about to get crazy again because, what, we're in 23? There's an election coming in soon. And the, the evangelicals, both liberals and conservatives are going to lose our minds again. Just, it'll be a show. Um, and then he says here, look at, look at this, um, verse 14. He says, who knows? And, and, and I'll put this one on the screen. I think I have this one on the screen for you. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of a curse. Perhaps you'll be able to offer grain and wine. Guys, if all we're concerned about is just God fix my stuff, then what happens is we come to God like an adversarial, like negotiating relationship, like an agent for on behalf of his client with a football team or something like that. And it's all about, hey, give it to me. Fix my problems. Fix my mess. God says, you come to me wholeheartedly. He goes, I don't know what God's going to do here. And the sign of wholehearted repentance is not just say God solved the mess, but God solved me. Now, it's not a bad starting point when your marriage falls apart, when your finances fall apart, when craziness goes, when your health stuff, to go, God, please help me. He's not saying you can't pray about that, but you don't come shaking your fist going, you better do it. Because here's another question right down today. Am I sorry for my sin or just my situation? Over and over again, I'm more sorry for my situation than I am for my sin. Because you know why? Because <laughs> consequences hurt. And God, well, here's what we'll do. We'll negotiate with God. God, if you will solve my finances, solve my marriage, make me better, fix my kids, fix my company, give me a job, give me a date, give me whatever it is, then I'll come to you with my whole heart. And God goes, uh, you come to me with all your heart and you just let me work out what, you, you come with me, who knows, I don't know what you're going to do here, God. I'm hoping you do something, but whatever you do, I'm going to trust you. If we're not careful, we can become like, uh, <laughs> like middle school kids. And since they're all gone now, we can kind of make fun of them for a second here. Uh, nobody spanks their kids anymore, probably. I don't know if anybody does that anymore. We ground kids now, right? We get grounded. They, if, if you do this, if you, probably the worst thing you do if you're a kid is take their phone away. They probably tell you, Dad, just beat me, please. Give me my phone back. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, and so they'll, they'll be all upset. They get grounded from a party they want to go to. They lose their technology, devices, all that kind of stuff. And so then, well, here's what happens is they beg and they, God, Dad, I love you so much, and I swear I'll never do it again, and there's heartfelt confession. You know why they're doing it? They're not sorry for their sin. All they want is their phone back. And we think, oh, yeah, those dumb kids. You know who they learned it from? <laughs> uh, guys, I've seen this over and over and over again at small levels, big levels. Uh, it's like the guy who's, he's a jerk, and he's abusive to his kids and his wife. Now, he doesn't hit them. 
but he's angry mentally, verbally, emotionally. He's terrible. And he justifies it, makes excuses about how he was raised, or if you would just stop being that, if you would do that more, if those kids would, ah, 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 whatever. And finally, the wife has had it, and she kicks him out of the house. You know what happens when he does then? The first call he makes? To me. He's come to church four times with his kids, but all of a sudden now, okay, i got to take this seriously now. So he calls me. Let's look at a talk. I'm, I'm serious about this, Steve. I want to do this. And he goes to like, or marriage family counselor or psychologist, a therapist. He gets, I'm going to do something here. I'm going, to get, I'm going to get this right. And so he'll, he'll go do the books and he'll go to the classes and he'll go anger management stuff and he'll do all this stuff and calming stuff down, being all good and everything. And she sees it. She goes, oh. And she lets him move back in. You know what happens four months later? Unless he keeps doing the things that he was doing because he was genuinely sorry for his sin. See, if he's just sorry for the consequences, you know what happens? Four months later, he's back doing the same thing again. And she eventually just leaves him for good. It's why we have to, in the midst of times when the locusts have come and decimated our marriage, our life, our finances, whatever it is. Look at verse 13. The second part is, return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Keep in mind right now, context here. We go, oh yeah, that's God, slow to anger, abounding in love, doesn't like to punish. As you look around at your country right now, not in America, but back then, the economy's in chaos. Cattle are dying, there's starvation level, poverty rations going on. Does it feel like God's slow to anger right now? I think God's pretty angry right now. God's, God's doing something here. He's, somebody, made somebody, somebody made somebody mad. And he's bringing havoc and consequences here. It doesn't feel like that. And what I want to tell you, when you're in the midst of times, not when you're sitting in an air-conditioned room in beautiful blue, comfortable chairs here, and like, oh, awesome, and I had my $8 coffee before I got here this morning, or all that kind of stuff. You're, it's wonderful and great right now, right? You have to keep in mind... When your marriage goes south, when your kids go south, when your health diagnosis comes in and it's catastrophic, terrifying kind of news, you just go, it doesn't feel like God loves me right now. I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of times in your life you're going to feel like God loves you. Sometimes you're going to go, I, I don't feel anything right now. We have to remind ourselves in those moments. We have to remind ourselves that God loves me. God deeply loves me. I don't feel it right now. Because I don't feel it doesn't mean it's not true. That's why it's super important when you go through times when the locusts have come and <laughs> devastated your life to get people around you who will remind you of that. Because for a while, you may need to run on somebody else's faith. You may need to run on somebody else's convictions because you just don't have any right now. That's why our small groups are so important. Get in one. Because you need people around you to remind you of the goodness of God. There's a, a, a famous, not a famous quote, it's a famous guy, none of you will know his name. His name's John Owen. He was a famous pastor back in the 1600s. Brilliant, brilliant writer, thinker, communicator, um, but has such a heart about things. Look what, he, look what he says here. He'll be up here on the screen. When we aren't sure that God loves us, then confession and repentance become a way of getting or keeping on God's good side. We hope to impress him with our sincerity and move him or obligate him to take pity on us. If that is what repentance becomes, it is self-righteous and will be bitter all the way to the bottom. It will lead only to a forced compliance of the will, not a change of view, a change of motivation, or a change of heart. See, do you want God to fix the problem? 
or do you want God to fix you? And some of you are going, well, if I'm honest about it, I just want my stuff fixed right now. I mean, I get it. That's, when things are really bad, I just want my stuff fixed. And so we go, God, that's why we come with God with, God, I really, I want my stuff fixed. I, I'm so angry right now and I don't feel like you love me. But I believe you love me and so who knows, God, whatever you want to do here, I'm just going to believe you no matter what the outcome might be. And here's the prayer. I put it on your program today on the note sheet there in the box there. It says this, the prayer that I beg you to pray, that I try to pray all the time, is God do a work in my heart so that the awfulness of my sin is worse than its consequences or its punishment. This is what David, after he has committed adultery on his wife with somebody else's wife, with Uriah's wife, gets her pregnant, tries to cover up the fact that his, the dude was off at war, he couldn't have got his wife pregnant, tries to cover it all up, read about it in the book of Samuel, and then he has Uriah murdered on the battlefield. And he's confronted about it, and God tells him, the baby that's going to be born to Bathsheba will die. And David goes and begs God, begs God, begs God, I have unleashed the plague of locusts on my land. And he says, God, in Psalm 51, created me a clean heart. And then he says these, these words in there. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. And we think, okay, yeah, we sin against God. If I'm Bathsheba or Uriah, I might go, I beg to differ here. <laughs> Bathsheba, I had to bury a baby. My husband got murdered on the battlefield because of you. And Uriah's in the grave going, I, excuse me? What David recognizes is that far worse than the consequences of my sin, that the, the ultimate thing, if you understand how great God is and how amazing he is, you would recognize that every sin we ever do is not just about how we impact people around us. It's what we do to offend a holy, loving God who has given us everything. He says, who knows? Maybe that'll get me out of this mess. Who knows? And then we, we read here what God does here, God's response here. Look at verse tw- uh, chapter 2. Verse, verse 19. Yeah, chapter 2, verse 19. The Lord replies, Look, I'm sending you grain and new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. I will drive away these armies from the north. I will send them into the parched wastelands. Those in the front will be driven to the Dead Sea. Those at the rear of the Mediterranean, the stench of their rotting bodies will rise over the land. Surely the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, my people. Be glad now and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Don't be afraid, you animals of the field, for the wilderness pastures will soon be green. The trees will again be filled with fruit. Fig trees and grapevines will be loaded down once more. Your profit and loss statements will now start to show a positive return. Your investment, 401k, your 403b, he says, look, it's all a mess right now. You have a job. God's going to do something amazing here. Rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. Rejoice, Lord your God, for the, he sends, the, the, the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. Once more, the autumn rains will come, as well as the rains of spring. The threshing floors will again be piled high with grain, and the presses will overflow with new wine and olive oil. And here's a verse, put an arrow next to this, circle it. Bold it, mark it up here. It says this. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locusts, hopping locusts, stripping locusts, and cutting locusts. The old school Bible says this. I will, store, I will restore the years 
that the locusts have eaten. God said, I love to do that. He comes in here to, to restore and rebuild and do some amazing things in there. Guys, in, in our day and age, what that means here is your finances. God goes, I'm, I'm going to turn some things around for you. Those of you that are single and just go, I wish I could find somebody and somebody besides the fools I keep meeting on social media because they're great for about 10 minutes and then go, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? My, my marriage that fell apart. I want to restore something there. Or do I have any, is anything ever going to happen for me again? My financial situation where I got cheated or did something dumb or stupid where I got myself in a mess. Who knows? God goes, if you just stay with me and you have the who knows attitude, just watch what he does. Is I'm going to turn some things around with your depression, your anxiety, your bondage, your children that are breaking your heart. I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to bring some wayward people back to you. This is what God does. But when God does this, this is important. There's some verses in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 18. I didn't think about it until after the note sheet had already gone to print, so it's not on your note sheet. I'd encourage you to read it. It's a story. of uh, God tells Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and just watch. And at the potter's house, anybody ever seen pottery spun or done that? Where they, One of you. Okay, good. This is going to work. <laughs> I can make anything up right now. Um, <laughs> the clay goes on this wheel, and it spins around and around and around. And they put water on it, and the pot just does all this stuff. And Jeremiah says, I went down there, and this pot was formed, and it was, whoa. It was beautiful. He says, and then something happened, and the pot, it hadn't, done baked, hadn't been baked yet hadn't been glazed over, it got messed up, and it, just went, it got ruined. You think, oh, well, that's it. Just throw, get rid of that clay. God says, just keep watching. Keep watching. And that clay stays on the, on the wheel in the, don't miss it, the hands of the potter, in the water. God's word and God's people gets on that, and God says, look what I can make here. Now, what gets made eventually is not the same pot. You know what it is? It's something different. Again, your second or third marriage will be different than your first marriage. Your kids, when they come back, may be different. There may be some different things about them. But God said, look, I can do some things here. I can remake something. Now, I was talking to a guy about this. We sometimes want, I just want things to get back to normal again. And God goes, I'm going to bring them back normal for you. Because sometimes we know what normal is. Like, I, I, said, I want that because I know what that is. God goes, I'm going to do something different here. I'm going to restore the years the locusts have eaten. And then he says, look at verse 27. I have this bolded in my Bible. Then you will know that I am among my people Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. He's saying here, in the midst of getting all excited about a 401k or a rebuilt marriage or, or crops or livestock or whatever it is that you're excited about, when everything turns around, you're like, yeah, this is awesome. He goes, the most amazing thing here is not the stuff that God gave you, but you get God himself again. He said, don't miss the fact um, that a sign that God gives you, when a God does something in your life, it's a sign to tell you how awesome and amazing he is. Uh, when you see a sign, what's the point of the sign? Like the Chick-fil-A sign with the cows on them and stuff like that, right? Chick-fil-A sign. Chick-fil-A sign. Wow. Wow. Chick-fil-A and cows. Wow. Is that the point of the sign? You know what the point of the sign is? Get to Chick-fil-A. Not today because those people close on Sundays. 
Anything. It's like a, a road sign or a sign that has be careful. It's not to look at the sign. The sign always points to something besides itself. And when God restores some things in your life, it's a sign. Not for you to make it the focus of your life, but to rejoice in it and recognize that there is a God who heard your prayer and God did something beautiful and amazing. I was in, speaking of Chick-fil-A, was in there on Monday. I met this guy. He'll be up on the screen here in a second. His name's Dave. Dave's had uh, some difficult things in his college years and stuff like that. He's an older guy right now. He's in a wheelchair now, confined in a wheelchair. He saw me sitting there in Chick-fil-A. I had a Bible open, my computer open. I was just sitting there studying and reading and asked what I did and told him a pastor. He kind of told me his story. He said, my life verse right now is this. And he, and, and he told me the, uh, J- to Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. I'd encourage you to keep something here in Hosea. I want you to see this. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. When God blesses you with power and wisdom and success, look at verse 23. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. Now, stop for a second. Is there anything wrong with wisdom, power, and riches? You know where wisdom, power, and riches come from? Come from God. He says, but don't make him the focus of your life. Don't make all your source of identity and meaning around wisdom, power, and riches. He says, but those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord. And the idea, guys, is not that I, they know me, they know about me, they know the doctrinal statements. They can go, yeah, Jesus, yada, yada, yada. No, it's like the idea of they know me. They get me at the soul and heart of who I am who demonstrate unfailing love and who bring justice and righteousness to the earth. And I delight in these things I, the Lord, have spoken. This is the focus of our life. When God blesses your life, move your focus from rescue to rescuer. You should write that down. It's going to be on the screen in a second here. Move your focus from rescue to rescuer. Move your focus from getting saved to your savior. Move your, move your focus off of the off of all the things that God has just done for you and go, man, look, what God, look how amazing God is that he would hear my prayer, that he'd answer my prayer, that he met me in the midst of a swarming locust and turned my life around. And I mean, I didn't deserve that at all because the truth is in my life, I brought all those millions of locusts in there. It's my own dang fault what happened. Look what God did to turn some things around and give me his plan B, plan C. This is why Paul in the book of Philippians says this. I'm not gonna, you can look at it later for yourself. Paul was a guy who was wildly successful, was wildly spiritual. And he says, and he kind of trots out his resume. I was this, I was this, I was this. You go, that's every person in that culture, that's exactly what they would be aiming for, to get the top of the org chart. Paul says, you know what, I look at all that stuff, and what I call it now? A big steaming pile of skubala. That's the Greek word for, you know what the, Greek, what the word is. Not quite that naughty, but about that naughty, that bad. He says, and look, there's nothing wrong with all those things I did, but compared to, to knowing Jesus, and then he says in Philippians 3, verse 10, he says, I want to know him. I want to know him, and not just know about him. I want to know him. I want to get him. And guys, this is what we do every week here at Crosspoint, while you're in small groups, while you come to church here, while we do worship, what we do. Everything we do here is not that you would just know more stuff up here, is you would get it down into the the toenails of your soul, it would sink into who you are. And then what's beautiful about this, he says the ultimate fulfillment of what God's blessings are, 
You'll know that I'm God because I did these great things for you. Look at verse 28. Then, after doing all those things, what's all the things he's done? Restored the crops, restored the, 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 the livestock, everything. Economy's churning again. After all that's going again, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike, and I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun will become dark, and the moon will turn blood red before that great and dreadful, terrible day of the Lord arrives. You're going, oh, dang, so there's more judgment coming? I understand what's going on here. He's telling us here. There's coming a day, he says, well, you're not just going to get blessings of God. You're going to get God himself. Peter uses this to talk about what happened on Pentecost. It was 40 days after the resurrection and the ascension. Um, after, 40, after Jesus rises. Anyway, it's 40 days later. And all of a sudden, the Christians are not quite sure what's going to happen there. He says, wait for the Spirit to come. And so when the Spirit comes, back then when the Spirit would come on somebody, it was not on everybody. It was like, him and her. <laughs> Very isolated here and there. He says, hey, it's going to come on everybody. He says, and the reason that you're seeing what God's doing here in Jerusalem right now with these flaming tongues of fire and smoke and all that, look at it in Acts chapter 2. He says, this is because of who Jesus is and what he did. That the Spirit has now come because God has removed, has canceled our sin record against him and has now made a perfect relationship with God possible, not just for the few, the proud, but for every fool out there. Gets him. It says there that... uh, the sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and terrible day of the Lord arrives. You know what he's talking about there? People have often said this is about the tribulation, end of days, and catastrophic you know, signs and wonders. That's not what he's talking about here. You can prove it to you. Because as the next verse, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know what he's talking about here? 2,000 years ago, the creator of the universe was hung naked on a cross. And the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrived, not for judgment on humanity, but judgment on the infinite Son of God who could take the infinite price of the wrath and judgment of God for the sins of the world. And now he says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And write this down here as the band comes up. We're getting ready to sing some stuff here. Here's what's great about this. The best thing about all this is I get God, not just his stuff. You get God not just his stuff. And guys, I wish I could find a way to sit down with you and just go, get this, because I, I get it. At times, we, we just want God's stuff. We want God to solve this and solve this. God goes, look, I could solve all that stuff for you. If all you did was to get me to fix your marriage, fix your finances, fix your health, and you don't get me, you got ripped off, pal. And that's why people who are, I've talked to people who are going through awful, terrible things right now, And you'll talk to people who go through awful times in their life and go, but I experienced the presence of God in my life in ways that I never did before. And I probably never will again because I hope I never go through that awful stuff again. It was in the midst of that suffering that they discovered how amazing and good Jesus was because they experienced him personally. They didn't just know about him. They got him. They got him. And so we're going to give you a chance today to respond to this. We're going to sing some songs today about God because here's the reason we do songs here. We don't do songs because churches do music. That's, you know, we have to be a church and do music because that's the thing you have to do. We do music here 
So, you're, so it's, not just that, it's not just your mind that's reminded that God loves you. So your soul gets reminded. So your soul gets reminded. We're going to give you opportunities to come back to the back of the room. You might be in a situation today where some locusts have swooped in and there's some terrible, awful things going on in your life right now. It's awful right now for you. Our prayer team's in the back of the room today. Let's go back there and talk to God about that with you and just say, God, what do you want to do here to turn some things around? And then every week here at Cross Point, we give you a chance to come and receive communion. It's in the four corners of the room. It's bread and it's juice, symbolizing the broken, bloody sacrifice that Jesus gave on the cross. The, the, the bread symbolizes his body. The juice symbolizes his blood. And we do this just about every single week here to remind us that the greatest thing you get from God is not his stuff. You get him. And so, Jesus, we come to you today. Hmm. Some of us, God, the truth, the truth I don't even know what to pray for here because my heart is conflicted because I know some stories here and I want you to heal some people and store some things. But God, if I had to ask for one thing today, help us get you. Help us get, 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 get you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.